Cofield and Company, live on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. Welcome in Reno on the day before Thanksgiving, uh, ESPN Las Vegas, ESPN Reno. Ari's in the Finley Toyota Studios. Adam Candy in Vegas. I am on the road. Steve Cofield in uh, Dana Point, California, following uh, Vegas basketball. We'll get to more around the National Football League. We've got some breaking news uh, just in from ESPN.com's Paul Gutierrez. We've had a lot of food talk this week, Candy. Uh, Willie Ramirez got very insulted when I simply asked him, does he know how to make a certain dish? And uh, he nearly walked off the show. My question was simply about mac and cheese. And he melted down. Like, do you know how to make mac and cheese? Everyone does not make good mac and cheese. By the way, later in the show, we'll bring in one of our true chefs, Michael Felder, our college football experts. And I know he's making mac and cheese. So our, our debate uh, or our discussion, really, it was my, the point of my discussion on Monday with Willie was, what sort of macaroni do you actually use? What is the pasta of choice for mac and cheese? And he finally got to where I wanted him to get to. Do you have a take on that? I'm insulted that you even asked me that. Oh my God! Here we go. Oh, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, you do. No, you do. You I know what? You uh, yeah. you could be insulted when I said uh, you know one of our true chefs on the show because you're quite the chef and you do come from a restaurant background. I I I've realized that your question, Steve, is a question that should be asked to anybody who is going to bring the food for the family, right? It's a big deal when you're bringing it for other people. It's not the same as just saying, yeah, I'm going to open up the box of craft and throw the powdered cheese in there and uh, go to town. You know, that's a completely right. different thing. So, yeah, I, um, I, I think you need to use some little ears. I think you probably need to go beyond the average cheddar cheese and probably go for something um, a, a little bit more interesting, maybe a little bit sharper, uh, a, a little saltier. What do you think about that, Cofield? Does that sound like something you would eat? It's a good start, yes. It's a very good start. Okay. I want okay. a little crunch on top, and I also want some noodles that are – I don't want elbow macaroni. I want something with a little more depth that's going to grab onto the cheese. But that's just me. I could See, we could go orquete, right? Like We could go with some, some nice wow. eating that I think will they'll hold the cheese very, very well. Wow. Didn't even think of that one. That's, that is – that is a good one. I've seen people do it with shells, which is, you know, it's quite the upset to say it, but uh, they are damn good. Boom. Nailed it. All right, big four time. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents the big four at four. Number four. You know, everyone on Cofield and Company, including Adam Candy, they have their cups of tea, the topics they like to speak about. So do I, right? And we mix it up. Depends on who's on the show. It's their show. It's, you know, it's Cofield and Company, but it's their show in the end. I was shocked today, Adam Candy, that you sent over a couple of stories. I didn't know you were jumping on board mixed martial arts. What's going on here, my friend? Yeah, clearly so. Uh, but I think it's more that I'm jumping on whiskey, which that shouldn't surprise you at all. That <laughs> This story for me is way more about whiskey and the airwaves being bombarded with Conor McGregor over Proper 12 for all those years i just I, I was stunned stunned i say to see that conor mcgregor's uh business partner filed a lawsuit saying that he artem loboff was the one who was the brains behind the idea of doing proper 12 so he was promised a five percent cut of the company for his efforts but when mcgregor and his partner sold for 600 million dollars he got nothing 
and Cofield, I ask you as the guy who uh, who knows MMA better than I do, and maybe we need to have Adam Hill, who I know has a very uh, you know interesting relationship with Conor McGregor's uh, Conor McGregor's camp. This guy got any friends left, or, or, or is it just he's just going to end completely by himself, drowning in whiskey in a very expensive house somewhere? I think he's got a few, but he does have a lot of enemies over the years. Um, there's a lot of women uh, over the years have claimed that uh, Connor's quite the creep. That he's had some, he's had more than one issue with women. A lot of claims brought against him. Um, I'm surprised in this case because I thought um, Artem Lobov, who's also a fighter, was super, super tight with Conor McGregor. But hey, guess what? When uh, you know, if the three of us came up with some concept and six hundred million dollars was the purchase price, we might have issues too. That's a lot. I mean, did you realize he had made that much money? He that's why he did snap his leg in his last fight, but that's why he's in no hurry. Uh, he's one of the few people who can still fight and make Dana White a lot of money who don't really need Dana White to make money outside of the sport. He's got so much money that Dana has to come to him hat in hand every time he wants him to fight. Like, he's not taking a crappy deal when he's worth hundreds of millions of dollars now. Why should he at this point? At the, what's left to prove for Conor McGregor at this point in just solely in terms of being an athlete there's nothing left for him to prove so good on him i guess for going and making a business empire and uh, apparently according to this uh, screwing his buddy out of a pretty significant payday number three boy the cardinals are making arizona proud aren't they we had uh derrick Kennard on former nfl player in hour number one he was a big fellow lineman for the cardinals still lives down there so he's familiar with the story and cardinals have been embarrassing this year i guess it's going to make for a great run the rest of the way on the uh, mid-season Hard Knocks on HBO. Because I was kind of bored to tears with the opener, but man, some stuff is happening. What happened now in Mexico City? Because they lost a coach, and they didn't lose him because he got lost in Mexico City. He's alleged to have been doing something, and they almost immediately said, all right, bro, you're out of here. Uh, yeah, offensive line coach Sean Kugler was fired on Saturday night and sent home on Sunday before a Monday game for the Arizona Cardinals in mexico city and honestly cofield we didn't hear until today what he did and when i saw that they had fired him immediately and then i remembered that old friend todd downing had been popped for dui at 4 30 in the morning and still had a job i thought to myself this must be pretty bad for the cardinals to have made the move on this guy and it's because he reportedly groped a woman in mexico city uh, making him the second Arizona Cardinals coach to be fired this year. This organization might be the worst in the NFL right now. And yes, I am well aware of what Daniel Snyder and the Washington Commanders bring to the table. Uh, they obviously clearly have problems off the field. They have all sorts of problems on the field. Everybody's talking about, oh, Kyler Murray. And if you heard the Monday Night Crew, they went in hard on Kyler Murray on Monday night, including, and this one shocked the hell out of me, Larry Fitzgerald, who is as soft-spoken and kind of an athlete as there is out there. And he was talking about having chatted with DeAndre Hopkins and AJ Green and heard that Colt McCoy is the real voice of the locker room in terms of quarterbacks. Really? Really? Well, what are you going to do about Kyler Murray? You going to get rid of the coach? Oh, you mean the coach that you just gave a multi-year extension to? Well, I guess maybe then the GM takes the fall, huh? Nope. Steve Kime just got a multi-year extension, too. This team on the field looks like they've quit. Off the field just fired their second coach of the year and has absolutely no clear direction for anything that they're doing right now. 
I understand what the commanders have done in the past and how they continue to screw it up, but at least the commanders are winning some games. The Cardinals are horrible. Number two. Constant lack of institutional control. Not a word or a phrase that we apply to professional sports, but that's the case. We apply it to collegiate sports, and there is no better example right now than New Mexico State. What is going on there? Because the initial details that have come out here about this horrific shooting and death at New Mexico involving a New Mexico State basketball player, that's, I mean, that, 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 that's terrible. But when we find out, I think there's going to be some cover-up stuff that comes out. How could no one anticipate this coming? So just to give you a quick background on this, the New Mexico State... Uh, New Mexico football game, there was a fight at the game where Mike Peake, who's the basketball player for New Mexico State, got into a big brawl with some New Mexico folks. And one kid took a you know quite a beating in Brandon Travis. So then they're set up to play a basketball game in Albuquerque. And the Travis group tries to lure this New Mexico State basketball player to a party some reports say hey they got a shot in on him i mean like a physical shot and then all of a sudden it just breaks out in gunfire because guns are pulled peak was ready like he he got lured to a party but he had a gun with him and they shot at each other and now there's a a 19 year old dead and the basketball player is injured because he got shot in the leg this is complete lunacy and i can't help but think and i hate to throw out these allegations that this could have all been stopped somehow a long time ago because there's a video out candy of all these folks just brawling at the football game. You, you're telling me no one in the New Mexico State basketball program knew that this kid had gotten in a fight? No one on the campus of New Mexico suspected that something might happen when this kid shows up? And then on top of that, where are all these guns from? Did the New Mexico State player travel with a gun? Does he know someone in Albuquerque to get a gun? And by the way, New Mexico State is back in action in Las Vegas. Do we have to put the whole bus? I mean, this kid's not going to be on the trip. But is this the way the school rolls? Is this the way this team rolls? I don't want to get all the other kids involved. This this is so outrageous and irresponsible, and it's resulted in a death. And like I said, I can't help but think that somewhere along the line, someone knew something. Someone had to sniff this out and know it could be coming. What really got me reading the article about this in the Las Cruces newspaper was the paper put out information that said they had requested arrest logs for after this fight. And it appeared that there was only one name that came out of it. When you see this fight, the idea that they only had the name of one person seems really difficult to believe, uh, really difficult to understand how they wouldn't have identified more people. And it is horrifying to think about these guys carrying this fight on to another city with this elaborate setup that apparently included a 17-year-old girl and using her to try to bring the basketball player out. But hey, obviously this guy was ready for it. So question for you, Cofield, as you you said, uh, if he brought the gun on the trip, you and I have both traveled with college teams before. That that is some scary, scary mess. Yeah, that's quite unsettling if you're going on road trips and people are packing heat. Uh, with the potential intent of having to defend themselves. Who knows? I mean, you know, this this showdown could have happened anywhere. It's terrible, and there's a 19-year-old dead in the situation. And I hope all of these schools come together to, to fix these issues because this shouldn't have happened. Top story. Number one. 
Jubilation, Candy. Jubilation. The Final Four is coming to Las Vegas. Another breakthrough for the city of Vegas being braced by sports. 2028, Final Four. Do you still have a bit of cynicism when you look at something like this from the NCAA? How can you not if you've been here for a while? You live in this city long enough and you have that healthy cynicism, skepticism baked into you. So yeah, the 2028 Final Four is coming and we knew this was coming. This goes back to, I mean, I reported on this back in 2017, I think, uh, back at the Las Vegas Sun talking about how the NCAA officials, when they were in the process of getting Allegiant Stadium approved, had reached out to the folks around the stadium and said, hey, we can't put it out there yet, but make sure you know we're interested in having the Final Four at Allegiant Stadium. So this is not news in that regard. We knew this was a faded thing from the time the stadium got built. So, okay. So we're willing to talk about having a Final Four here, which is going to make the NCAA a lot of money. Does that mean that the NCAA is going to modernize its stance towards gambling overall? Or is it just going to be at times when we're talking about championships that make them massive amounts of TV revenue, massive amounts of ad revenue for their, air quotes, corporate partners? Or is it going to be on a day-to-day basis, are we going to get injury reports for college football? Are we going to be able to have some sort of a normal semblance of a relationship between the college athletics programs and the sports books? Because we know that college sports are major, major business when it comes to betting. Glad to see the step in the right direction of acknowledging that Las Vegas is a fantastic place for a Final Four. But it feels like just one step in a whole lot more than need to be taken. Carlson blocks the forward pass from Demko. It goes behind. Marcia so sneaks it in front. Smith banging away. Score! The Knights have tied it. Marcia so to Smith. 4-4 with 11 minutes in the third period. It's Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. Only a hippopotamus will do. Holiday weekend on the way. Adam Candy's here. It's Cofield, Reno, Las Vegas, Nevada Sports Talk Show. Cofield and Company with you. Uh, it's all presented by Battleborn Injury Lawyers. 766-1400 is the number to call from anywhere in the state of Nevada. VGK back on the ice tonight. The other night, pretty good comeback victory there. They win another one. They've been clutch in games late. I got a couple of Raider things to get to here. Uh, First of all, there is breaking news from one Paul Gutierrez, ESPN.com Raider expert, about Derek Carr. Do you think you'll be able to handle this, Adam Candy? As long as it is not something about any of the other cars, I can handle this. I just, it's, it's the day before Thanksgiving. I got enough family circus to deal with. I don't need anything from the car family circus. <laughs> it was a funny group. I didn't know they agitated you that much. Proceed. What does Paul want to tell us? Breaking. Okay. Derek Carr. Mm-hmm. His favorite thank you, uh, Thanksgiving dish. Derek Carr's favorite Thanksgiving dish. Mashed potatoes. A bit of an upset if you were ranking favorite dishes. Not a. 
It's not a bad choice because I like mashed potatoes as well. I have seen – it's funny. This most recent era of everyone having a voice, and let's deal, you know, let's deal with reality here. Where are some of the select few that should always have a voice? Some of you others who now have a voice – I'm kidding. Um, but there's been a lot of pushback on certain food items – Thanksgiving food items. And I've seen the biggest complaint with mashed potatoes is they're really no good unless there's gravy on them, which I don't agree with. Guys, the fact that I'm going <laughs> so to have to patient. explain to stay all patient. of you, stay I'm going to have to explain why Derek Carr and mashed potatoes are the perfect pairing okay. for player and food. And this is going to prove what Cofield said because he was being modest. Most of you don't deserve to have a voice. So let's talk about Derek Carr and mashed potatoes. Um, Mashed potatoes are good. They're not great on their own. You have to surround them with a supporting cast for them to be truly successful. You need butter. You need salt. You need pepper. Maybe you need gravy. All those things are what elevate mashed potatoes to the point where they can be a strong dish on the table. They're never going to let you down, right? There are, there are worse dishes on the table. There, Zach Wilson are those nasty dinner rolls that have been sitting out for six weeks, right? Like, that's Zach Wilson. You can have some nice Derek Carr mashed potatoes, but the truth of the matter is, until you give those mashed potatoes some help, they're never really going to shine. That's Derek Carr mashed potatoes. Well, you really tied that together very nicely. This one could bring a stronger reaction. Derek Carr's least favorite Thanksgiving dish. It just says green beans. And we've had an active debate the last week. Can you deal with green beans? Or do you want green bean casserole? And there's been a lot of people who are anti-green bean casserole. I don't get it because if made correctly, I like both styles. Just you know, some kind of seasoned green beans, or I like the casserole too. Look, there's nothing wrong with the casserole. You get the fried onions in there. It's fantastic. But I, I don't know. Cofield, I prefer Haricover. I don't. Are you, I prefer Haricover. Haricover. Don't you prefer Haricover to green beans? I still don't really know what those are outside of hearing it um, on a couple of cooking shows. I think. Maybe the first time I became familiar with them was on Chopped, you know, because they have some goofy ingredients on there. Herrick, what? Go ahead, Dr. It's, Oz. It's it's just the French word for green beans. There you just go. French, okay. Just, just the French word. So why do we have to do that? Why do we have to do that? Oh, oh, just to make sure everybody knows I'm a little more cultured than everybody else <laughs> on the show. Then <laughs> it wasn't really all that hard. I, mean, I showed you I was better than you with the car mashed potatoes thing, and then I showed you I was way better than you by knowing about Haricover. Boom, boom. See you at the Thanksgiving table. Nailed it. Nailed it. Uh, did you see the news that came out today that uh, Aaron Rodgers has been playing hurt? Uh, and can we please give credit where credit is due to where this news was broken? Apparently at 8.51 a.m. on November 18th, uh, not by Adam Schefter or Ian Rappaport. It was broken by Big B on Twitter at Big Packers 4X. What? Since this is a big since this is a big talking point today, let's break some news. I asked Rogers during my make a wish how his finger is, and he replied that his thumb is actually broken. His thumb was still really bruised and swollen last Saturday. And since then, Ian Rappaport has given credit to Big B 
at Big Packers 4X as having broken the news about Aaron Rodgers' broken thumb. See, there's a voice that deserves to be heard. Big B. Aaron Rodgers has had a broken thumb since week five against the New saying? York Giants. That's what he's saying. Week five. And I, I, I don't know what I find most interesting about this situation. First of all, isn't the NFL supposed to have one of the most detailed injury reports in all of sports? Yes. Don't they act? Didn't they pioneer the injury report when they first put out the older versions of this? They did. They did. We knew Aaron Rodgers was dealing with a hand issue. We know it was a broken thumb. So, got some integrity issues as we talk about the NFL matching up with sports books, et cetera, et cetera. But, Cofield, doesn't this feel like the perfect Aaron Rodgers thing? To hold it in for weeks and then it leaks out through a make a wish kid so that you can't say a thing to him about it? You're like, oh, yeah, well, I told the Make-A-Wish kid. And then the Make-A-Wish kid leaks it. And so you can't be mad at Aaron Rodgers for hiding it because he confided in the Make-A-Wish kid. He He's just a man of the people who need him most. He's just a man of the people. Um, this is typical Aaron Rodgers talking to Pat McAfee. Give me Rodgers, too, as uh, some people's hearts went a flutter when they heard this yeah it's been it's been an awesome run i mean i'm i'm really proud of uh, what i've accomplished i don't you know i'm not like looking forward to the end and, and you know life after football is going to be a tough transition this for every player that finishes up and i don't know when that's going to be you know i don't know if it's going to be after the season or after three more seasons or whatnot boy that was just a bombshell for greeny today he loved it just went crazy. He, he got almost no reaction from the football players on the show because as we reacted yesterday, this is Aaron Rodgers. I'm not going to get all worked up. And he was all over the place. He's He doesn't – and honestly, I don't think he knows. Do you think he knows what he's going to do after this year? No, and I don't think he really cares, <laughs> right? Like I think that's why he doesn't know because Aaron Rodgers will be fine coming back hopefully with a full year of Romeo Dobbs and Christian Watson a rebuilt offensive line or getting traded somewhere in the middle of this contract and allowing the Packers to move on. Or I think he'll be happy to be on a four-month ayahuasca trip somewhere in the mountains when football season starts. I don't really think it matters to him at this point. But did you hear what he said? Candy, he's going to drag it out. Mm. Oh, my God. What are the Packers going to do? They need to play Jordan Love like now. Yeah. Well, you know what? <laughs> They're pretty much done for the year anyway, so why not? Right, go go ahead. Play Jordan Love at quarterback. Bring back Scott Tolzien. I don't care. Play anybody you want at quarterback for the Packers at this point. The, the, their season is over. We, we would be talking about the Green Bay Packers as the single most disappointing team in the National Football League if the Dallas Cowboys hadn't figured out a way to derp away a 14-point lead in the fourth quarter a couple of weeks ago because they would be on an amazing losing heater and they would have three wins this year. Uh, back to where we started with the Raiders and more important, uh, important stuff around Derek Carr aside from his Thanksgiving likes and dislikes. Have you seen the building momentum because of the way the Raiders finished out the Denver game, the building momentum to start going more up-tempo if you're the Raiders? How would this work? When you run an offense, do you take your defense into consideration? 
you damn well better. <laughs> you want this team to go faster and bring this defense back on the field more often? Yeah. Have they been so efficient offensively that you want them to be running these plays quicker? They're not good. And, and to back up the idea, uh, if you look at Football Outsiders' situation-neutral pace, so basically you take out the two-minute drives, you take out garbage time, and you just look at those situations, the Raiders play at the 26th pace in the NFL, meaning they're one of the slowest teams in the league. And they're down there with New Orleans, Atlanta, the Rams, Washington, Green Bay, and Tennessee. Now, Tennessee, we know why they're down there, because they're a running team. Everybody else on that list has a bad offense that it doesn't want exposed. And so why wouldn't Josh McDaniels try to ball control, shorten games, make everything a 21 to 20 game? Why would you want to put this defense, which is the worst pass defense in all of football out there any more often than you have to? But Candy and go for broke situations. The Raiders going up tempo looks good. Yes, and, and as we know, Cofield, everybody defends you in go-for-broke situations in exactly the same way they defend you the rest of the game. I'm the Denver Broncos, and I've been stifling you all game long, but my goal at this point is not to allow you into the end zone. My goal is to only allow a field goal at worst. Now, mind you, it almost didn't work for Denver doing that uh, at the end of regulation, but this is a Raiders offense that had first and goal from the seven to win the game in regulation and couldn't come through with anything. That's the offense you want more plays out of? Stop it. They need to go faster. Faster, faster, faster. It'll work. I'm telling you. Cofield & Company presented by Battleborn Injury Lawyers in Reno and Las Vegas. Call from anywhere in Nevada. 766-1400. Booker moves in. 20-foot jump shot. Swish. It's good. And Booker makes it 86-79 the sun. It's Cofield and Company, live on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. Adam Candy and as a company, Ari's running the show. Here right before the holiday weekend, of course, we're going to do a show on Wednesday as we're in Vegas, we're in California. Doing it from wherever we have to do it, right, Candy? So, you hear a little hoopage on the way back, and... Some familiar faces, one that you would expect, one you would not expect to be you know, getting in dust-ups and fracases and having some tough talk. Lakers and Suns, Lakers fall. But yet another incident with your guy, Pat Bev. Can you defend this one? You're asking me to defend my president. You think I'm not going to defend my president, Pat Bev. <laughs> Pat Bev has been my president, and Pat Bev will continue to be my president. But you know what, Cofield? He's not the side of this fight that I'm worried about. I I have a genuine concern in my heart for one of the players in this fight. So if you didn't see it last night, uh, you have a play where Austin Reeves ends up on the ground and DeAndre Ayton is standing right over him after knocking him down. And from about, I'm going to say, a good 10 yards away, Pat Bev decides to get in on the action. And he takes a running start at DeAndre Ayton's back and throws a shoulder into him and trips over Austin Reeves and falls down as DeAndre Ayton. Oh, predictably, Pat Bev got tossed from the game. And Pat Bev said afterward, this is why he's my president, and this is why I will always stand for him. He's a foxhole guy. Pat Bev is a foxhole guy. You're in that foxhole. Pat Bev is in there with you. But uh, Devin Booker, noted NBA tough guy, said that 
Pat Bev needs to start pushing people in the chest instead of pushing them in the back. Oh, well then, is this the same Devin Booker who got Clay Thompson tossed out of a game a couple of weeks ago by going hard at him and getting Clay Thompson to throw up the four fingers for his four rings? And so I, I'm a little worried, Steve. I'm a little worried. Um, it's a time of year when our loved ones mean the most to us. And I can't help but notice that it's only been a month or two since Devin Booker and uh, and Kylie Jenner broke up. Um, oh, wow. Look at you. I mean, but, I mean Kendall Jenner. You're, Kendall you're, Jenner. My apologies. It, Kendall Jenner. You know, the Jenners are, to me, are interchangeable. Um, I'm worried. I I understand you're going to defend Pat Bev at – at any cost, but really you're going to stoop that low and bring in a man's troubled relationships and take a cheap shot. Devin Booker was just lecturing people about taking cheap shots. And then you fire back with a cheap shot. It's not a cheap shot. It's, it's, it's someone in me, an enlightened sensitive man who has gone through therapy and has learned about himself and has, has understood that you can't always just take out your anger on the person right in front of you, right? And and he's going through a hard time. He and Kendall have been together for two years. Two years. The article that I read on a great uh, a great nationwide publication known as US Weekly said that these basketball pro and quote Hulu personality had briefly gotten back together recently and then broke up again. My heart hurts for him. I've been through breakups. But I don't know that you really should go taking it out on someone who's just trying to stand up for his friend. This is just Patrick Beverly, foxhole guy, standing up to the bully that is DeAndre Ayton. You know that Austin Reeves is going to lose a fight to DeAndre Ayton. You just need Patrick Beverly to stand up for you. And why not? That's what teammates do for each other, right, Kobe? If, if someone from a competing radio station knocked me down, I go. can't imagine that Steve Cofield wouldn't take a run at their back and send them back. flying, flying through the air and said, Lotus sticks together because Steve Cofield is a foxhole guy. Yeah, I, I don't know if that was a compliment that I take a shot at someone's back, but there's a good likelihood I would do something. It might be more more bark than bite. It's Cofield and Company of the Battleborn Sports Hour presented by Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 766-1400. Company's eye on sports betting with Brad Powers. Brad Powers is in very busy week because it's condensed and he's nice enough to give us a couple minutes. Brad, how you doing, buddy? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Happy yeah, Thanksgiving. Let's do, let's do it. Happy Thanksgiving. Uh, part of a happy Thanksgiving means getting a chance to watch the Egg Bowl. A little extra drama here with some of the rumors out there. Uh, how's Ole Miss going to do in what could be Lane Kiffin's final game? On the sidelines, is he going to Auburn? But anyway, uh, Ole Miss is under a field goal favorite against Mississippi State. Yeah, I mean, that is the number one factor, believe it or not, for me. If you told me, you know, he's going to stay, contract extension, uh, I would say two's a little light. If you said he's packing his bag, this is his last game, then I want Mississippi State outright. Early money's been on Mississippi State. Maybe somebody knows something that even old Brad Powers doesn't, so I'm going to leave Mississippi State. All right, let's start going down the board with a bunch of Friday games. Uh, first off, uh, is Baylor a live dog at plus nine against Texas? 
No, I actually like the favorite there. I, I just I'm not sure how much Baylor has left. I mean, it's one day left prep. Uh, you know, they, they gave everything they had and came up just short last week. So I, I like the Longhorns there. What does NC State have left in the tank to try to pull the upset, catching six and a half against North Carolina? Yeah, I don't think much. I mean, just because you know, when you look at the quarterback situation there, I mean, are they going to be down to a third string guy uh, again like they were last week? If so, then I think six and a half seems a little light. At Brad Power Seven up on Twitter, BradPowerSports.com, going through the college football slate like we do each week on Thursdays, but day off tomorrow. Brad, nice enough to join us here on a Wednesday. All right, what do you expect from UCLA on the bounce back? Ten against California. Yeah, I'm going to take the dog here because I I'm a little worried about UCLA's mentality as far as this one. I obviously, gave everything they had, came up short, don't have much to play for. DTR's banged up, had that hand taped uh, in the game last week. You know, I know Cal's also off a rivalry game, but uh, I just think being at home in a short week of prep. And not suffering an emotional loss is more of an advantage for Cal. So give me Cal here. Shop around. There's a couple ten and a halfs out there. That, that's a really good bet as far as I'm concerned. Florida State a little too rich at nine and a half against Florida. Yeah, I would agree. But wait, I, there's some tens popping uh, in the market, and you know, I'm talking six, seven places now uh, are you know putting that number near ten. So if you want to take Florida, wait a little bit. You might get a better number. I, it is a classic buy low, sell high. Florida State off four straight easy wins and covers. Florida off losing as a two-touchdown favorite at Vanderbilt. Uh, I'll take the Gators here plus the double digits. We're going to have a lot more around the Mountain West Conference, but let's start with uh, Fresno 15 against Wyoming. Yeah, if you watched Wyoming's quarterback last week, you would say it should be 25, not 15. I mean, uh, I, I somehow they almost upset Boise, too. I mean, with a quarterback that was three out of 16 for 30 yards and three interceptions. Uh, Fresno State's got a little bit more dynamic offense than Boise State, so check the injury report. If Andrew Peasley cannot go again for Wyoming, Fresno State's a really good bet as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Civil War, that's no longer the Civil War. Oregon State at home plus three against Oregon. Yeah, it's going to sound like a broken record. Check the quarterback injury uh, report. This one, I think Bo Nick's definitely going to play. It's more of an in-game live betting opportunity as far as I'm concerned. Is he healthier than last week? Because I know Oregon somehow found a way to beat Utah, but their ground attack was almost stymied. It came to a screeching halt compared to what it was just a few weeks prior. Oregon State's rush defense has been really good. If Bo Nix still looks, you know, gimpy, I think the Beavers is a player plus three. Can South Carolina do it two weeks in a row? Can Spencer Rattler be magical two weeks in a row? They got the job done in a big way against Tennessee. Now they're catching 14 and a half and could be CFP spoiler against Clemson. Yeah, I think magical enough in that they can cover this point spread. So I'm going to lean South Carolina plus 14 and a half. I mean, I'm, just, I'm, I'm going to be generally speaking, a lot of these uh, SEC, ACC matchups, you're going to see me trend more towards the SEC because I think the ACC's the, the worst Power Five conference in college football this year. Hmm. Uh, off the field stuff is always interesting to factor in. You saw today that uh, the official charges ruling has come down on the Michigan State players who tried to beat the hell out of Michigan after the game, seven of them facing charges. Penn State's 19 against Michigan State. Yeah, I mean, none of those guys have played the last three weeks, so any market movement to me was an overreaction. But with that being said, I mean, I'm more concerned about Michigan State and how they blew last week's game. Seven Up 17 at halftime against Indiana, somehow didn't win that game to clinch ball eligibility. 
They're not clinching bowl eligibility against Penn State. Penn State rolls. Wisconsin and Minnesota, they play for an axe, don't they? Don't they play for a big axe? Yeah, Paul Bunyan's axe, a really big axe, because uh, they have to – because they, they, they put, like, the team emblem after every year, and they have to get a longer handle as the series continues. I mean, it's over 100 years now. So uh, who's going to win this year's axe? Wisconsin. Who's going to take home the money? I think three-point spread's fair. And, and I will say this. If Wisconsin does indeed win, I fully expect Jim Leonard to get the interim tag removed, and he'll be the permanent head coach. Let's bounce around to uh, some of the spots around the Mountain West Conference before we get to – some of the biggest games of the weekend. All right, let's talk about uh, in the state of Nevada. What do you think happens here? UNLV pulled an El Flapo uh, at Hawaii. <laughs> Again, they're laying a, a big number here. 12. By the way, are you going to the game? Are you going to be at the Al on uh, on Saturday? I will be there. Yeah, nice. that might be my last Man. UNLV game. So I will soak it all in there. So, uh, you know, the question is, UNLV favored by this big of a point spread for the first time since 2000 in this rivalry. I don't trust them, so I, I'm not saying that Nevada's clearly the right side. I just think I, you know, in a rivalry game, when, when you got a favorite that's not used to being this big of a favorite in this series, I'm going to take the Wolfpack here plus twelve. You only wins, but uh, Nevada covers. Did you just break earth-shattering news? Are you out on your uh, future UNLV season tickets at Allegiant? Yeah, I know, and they're really good seats, so uh, make sure uh, there'll be a couple of, of really nice seats uh, available starting next year. All right. Well, you're very busy. You're very busy. We get what's going on on, on Saturdays and sometimes the uh, the late games on Friday. So we'll cut you a break. Brad Powers has uh, has enjoyed some of the games over the years. All right. Um, let's talk uh, Pac-12 involvement first. Washington and Wazoo. This is always a real nasty game. It's one and a half for the Huskies. Yeah, I think Washington State, the, the home underdogs, a little bit of the sharper side. I personally haven't gotten involved on the game. Uh, I think, obviously, Kalen DeBoer, the Washington head coach, has got most of the headlines for the great job he's done. I think Jake Dickard has done just as good of a job at Washington State this year. Just a slight lean on the Cougars. Auburn, Alabama. Bama's 22. Yeah, I mean, I laid 21 on Sunday. Just a pure numbers play. Didn't really dive into it. Just, you know, thought the numbers should be closer to 24. The more I think about it, though, and just the style of play Auburn's been playing under, you know, Cadillac Williams. I mean, yeah, I'm not sure I would. Yeah, I'm going to hedge back uh, on the bet, see how high this line goes. And I, I think Auburn will be able to shorten the clock a little bit, run the football. I'm not sure how enthusiastic Alabama is. So, for me right now, as it stands, I'm going to lean Auburn. At Brad Powers up on Twitter. Check that at Brad Powers. 7, bradpowersports.com. Does Jimbo and his Tamu squad have any fight left in them? I mean, they're getting 10 here against LSU. Yeah, I doubt it. Because, I mean, I know some people are going to say, yeah, they, they can. But, I mean, what, when have they showed fight? One game this year, Alabama. I mean, they even last week, I mean, that was pathetic. 20-3 to three against a terrible UMass team. I know the weather was bad, but still, LSU's been buttoned up. They were buttoned up last week, easily covered over UAB, where people thought it was a flat spot. Uh, I think they take care of business. Give me LSU. We know Southern Cal's defense isn't very good, but is Notre Dame, I don't know, they're strong enough on offense to put points on the board, seemingly not being able to really throw. Can they grind a game down, keep it a little lower scoring, and, and take out USC getting five? Uh, if Notre Dame had an average quarterback, I probably would have my biggest bet of the year on Notre Dame. 
They don't have an average quarterback. They got Drew Pine. So, I mean, come on. Caleb Williams or Drew Pine, and, and, you know, the total says it's more going to be played at USC's pace. It's by far Notre Dame's highest total of the year. So, I'm going to take the Trojans here, lay the five and a half. And last one before we look ahead to the CFP for a second. All right, we're here. We had speculated this might be, you know, nine or ten points at seven and a half, but Michigan's got issues at running back. Is Corum going to play? Did an offensive lineman leak that he's not going to play? What the hell's going on here? Ohio State in a massive game, seven and a half at home against the Wolverines. Yeah, I like Ohio State quite a bit, and I'm not a guy that typically says there's any value on the biggest games of the year. I usually don't, uh, but in this instance, I Ohio State's one of my biggest bets of the week. I I just think they have an extra gear Michigan doesn't have, especially if Blake Corm and Donovan Edwards aren't 100%, even if they do play. Um, and I just haven't seen it from J.J. McCarthy as far as being able to really get after Ohio State's defense in, in the vertical pass game. Uh, I like Ohio State's recruited better, and Ohio State's third-string running back looked a hell of a lot better than Michigan's third-string running back last week. When you look at the CFP rankings, do you think there's a team, just by the eye test, and, and by the numbers too, you don't just do the eye test, but do you think there's a team in that four, five, six, seven, eight range where you're like, okay, that's clearly the team that has to be in? Like, I can't say regardless of record, but when you've watched them, you're like, that. that is – the fourth team? Uh, no, I, I think they're all overrated. Uh, I'm just being honest. I, I, to me, it's Ohio State and Georgia. Georgia being number one, Ohio State two, and then everybody else. I think it's a clear step back. I mean, if you wanted to, you know, really on a neutral, and I knew they were motivated, Alabama would be the, the third team for me. I hate to hear that, Brad. You disappointed. Me. Well, notice but I, I didn't it. even say Michigan. I get it. Again, I think Ohio State beats Michigan by ten points this week. So yeah. I mean, that's why I didn't even include them. I think there's really only two teams, maybe a third if you count Alabama. I'm not buying LSU. I'm not buying USC. I'm not buying yep. TCU. None of those teams. What would the Bama LSU line be now in a neutral? That's a good question. Uh, Alabama would obviously still be favored on a neutral, probably nine. <laughs> okay, there you go. And yet, yeah, we've got LSU with a fighting chance to get in this thing. They're going to have to pull off a major upset against Georgia. Hey, Brad, we know. I mean, uh, there's the a reason really... why they're a 16 point underdog right now. Yep. That's a good point. And look at lines Georgia, two against Ohio State, nine against Michigan, 14 against TCU, and 16 and a half against LSU. And they are, unless LSU blows it, they are going to meet up here. All right, Brad, we appreciate it, man. I know you're busy, and thanks for squeezing us in. Hey, happy Thanksgiving. Thanks for having me. Happy Thanksgiving. There he is, Brad Powers at Brad Power 7 up on Twitter, bradpowersports.com. Candy, I know you're not freaking hardcore college football guy so much anymore. Was I sickening you there with the CFP talk at the end? No, you weren't sickening me at all. And quite frankly, I know Alabama has two losses. They are by a combined four points to two teams that were in the top six when they played them. So right now, if you're going to argue about who gets the third or fourth spot, I don't care if they have two losses. Who's going to be competitive? Who's going to be in there and really give someone a game? Do you think it's going to be SC? Do you think it's going to be an LSU team that's going to probably get run off the field by Georgia? No, I don't think it's any of them. I think the only other team with a legitimate claim, so long as they win on Saturday, is Ohio State. I would love to see USC get bumped all the way up to three. Because I'd like them to not have to face Georgia right out. 
And if it were Ohio State at two or Michigan at two, I think that would be a hell of a game against USC. I think you can make a case that SC at its best can put up that fight. But do you, if you're the CFP and you're trying to put the best two games on the field with the most reliable products that you can, are you trusting that USC team in that spot? I don't know that they are. I'm trusting them to play an exciting game. I think they're going to score. I mean, it might be, you know, 64-49. That would be entertaining. Probably better than you get at SC basketball. Yeah, I was going to say, you're not going to get Michigan, you know, where uh, you may get uh, 7, 10 points based on their performance a year ago. Thanks to Reno. Stick around. we got another hour coming here on LVSportsNetwork.com.